Is there more Djokovic drama? You know it. Do we have to discuss it? Yes, at least for the sake of knowing if Andre gets to snag the number one spot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. All right, so here we are with episode 82, our second episode of the 2022 uh, tennis season, and um, we're going to be talking about the Australian Open today and previewing the draws since they dropped uh, a couple nights ago, and um, the main exciting part of this is that we actually finally will get to talk about some tennis. So before we get to that, though, we do have to give you some updates on this Djokovic saga. At the beginning, Josephine and I were just talking about this. We were like, wow, this drama is so funny. But at this point, it's come to a point where we're exhausted yeah, we're and tired. We're sick of it. And we actually want to talk about, you know, the more fun things in tennis. So let's just speed through all the updates. So on Monday... The judge ruled in Djokovic's favor after his appeal um, and reinstated his visa, which the Australian government canceled because they did not deem his exemption to be valid and detained him. And the ATP then released a statement prior to their hearing saying it's clear that Novak Djokovic believed he had been granted a necessary medical exemption in order to comply with entry regulations. The series of events leading to Monday's court hearing have been damaging on all fronts, including for Novak's well-being in preparation for the AO. Player medical exemption requests are made independently of the ATP. However, we have been in constant contact with Tennis Australia to seek clarity throughout this process. But then they also had a pretty strong statement about right after that, saying that they strongly recommend vaccination for all players on the ATP tour, saying that it is based on scientific evidence supporting the health benefits provided and to comply with global travel regulation, regulations, which we anticipate will become stricter over time, um, and noted that 97% of the top 100 players are vaccinated leading into the Australian Open. So finally, the ATP releases a statement that isn't awful. That's, we don't see that a lot. Yeah, but also, I'm not going to lie, I'm very surprised by that 97% number. Mm. I'm actually very surprised by that. That's interesting. You think it's hot? Is that higher or lower than what you I thought? feel like it's lower. Yeah. But that I mean, leaves, like... Two two three, other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, well. Yeah. Well, well, I think one of, one of them is Tennis Sandgren, who mm-hmm. obviously isn't playing. I don't know if it's, I mean, Pierre Hughes-Herbert isn't vaccinated, but I don't believe he's in the top 100, so I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Who that third person is. So that decision was, the decision was based on the right of reply for Djokovic, and the judge said that the Australian government did not give Djokovic enough notice about his visa being canceled for him to get together his materials to defend his exemption because obviously there's a time limit on all of this um legal processing since we have the Australian Open coming up very very soon and also it was really early in the morning 4 a.m right after his flight 
and they only gave him a few hours and they said that he wasn't treated fairly but um I mean I don't really understand this because it's just the same treatment anyone else would have been given but yeah whatever so (laughs) Djokovic asked if they could wait until 8 30 a.m so that he could contact his lawyers and Tennis Australia before the interview with the Border Force. And then the Australian Border Force first agreed, but then forced him to do it at 6 a.m. when Djokovic was woken up by three Australian Border Force officers. So, like we said before, there is clearly wrong on all sides here. Like, we've seen that Djokovic, um, he's been, I don't know, like, his refusal to get vaccinated has just escalated to the point where it's gotten him in real trouble because he's not even doing it out of he's just it feels like a big stubborn act at this point and so the judge ruled that Djokovic won on the principles of procedural fairness and legal unreasonableness which is interesting of course it was a very hasty um process and and then, of course, we have the other craziness in the midst of all this. We had protests on the streets. We had Djokovic fans going completely insane on social media. You should have seen everyone's comment sections. ATP, Australian Open, literally anything that has to do with tennis at this point was filled with, like, Serbian flags and, like, Novak fans to the brim. It was insane. And then we had Nigel Farage joining Djokovic's family in Serbia to watch the court hearing. That was definitely interesting and uncalled for. And yeah, that was just... I don't even know how that fit into the puzzle at all. Yeah, but I don't understand why Nigel Farage was there. Andy Murray had some really funny tweets to respond to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Djokovic's family also held a very weird press conference where they were very selective with the questions they answered. But back to that initial court case, I mean, clearly, like, there was wrong on all sides. Like, no matter what you think about Djokovic and his vaccine, has his, uh, well, anti-vax sentiments and his refusal to get vaccinated and him jumping through these loopholes, which is obviously incredibly disrespectful, I mean, it's also exposed some things in the way that the Australian border force kind of uh, treats these matters of detainment. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's obviously, you know, clearly there's something a bit icky about the fact that, um, they told him he can have till 8.30 a.m., but then they wake him up in the middle of the night at 6 a.m. when he's not fully ready to, um, get together, contact his lawyers and stuff. Also, because the judge noted that he didn't have access to his phone for a while. So, um, the way that he was treated was certainly not right either, but if anything, that should, instead of us trying to emphasize sympathy for a celebrity multimillionaire like Djokovic, instead sort of share some of that sentiment towards other people in less fortunate situations going through that same treatment. Aside from that, the reason for his exemption was also exposed in that Djokovic said that he tested positive on December 16th, again in the hearing after attending a basketball game where several people tested positive as well. But then he was seen maskless at several indoor events on the 16th and the 18th. So in an Instagram statement, he said that he wanted to clarify all this because a lot of people were like, okay, so he either lied about the test result or knowingly spread COVID. So uh, in that statement, Djokovic said he took a PCR test on the morning of the 16th because he had been notified as being exposed, but anyways went on to a children's tennis event in Belgrade, which was indoors, maskless. 
Um, he said he was asymptomatic and only received news of his positive test result after the event. Then on the 18th, he knew he was positive and still did a massacre's interview for Le Quip. I don't whatever I don't think okay because he didn't want to let he quote didn't want to let the journalists down thus knowingly potentially spreading COVID to sent journalists and the International Tennis Writers Association following this uh, Lakeep interview wrote the news about it wrote a statement to CNN criticizing Djokovic's actions and rightfully noting that Australian Open journalists are required to be vaccinated to enter Melbourne but you know Djokovic did accept fault for continuing with the interview but what a yeah. stupid decision and this could play a very major role in the next court case about him that we're going to hear about in just a second there was also a little bit of kind of confusion about um an error on joke which is travel declaration where he said that he hadn't traveled anywhere recently but that's not true because he just went to spain to train and he clarified in his statement saying that this was his agent's quote-unquote administrative mistake and quote-unquote human error confusing whatever but then we get to the more recent drama which started with the draw ceremony yeah so the draw was set to come out on thursday afternoon australian time but then the draw ceremony ceremony was delayed just as the prime minister um was um going to hold a press conference but um we didn't know what it was about and everyone assumed that it was about Djokovic. but hello there's things going on outside of the tennis world, people. And it was just a standard, you know, like, COVID update press conference. And it was just, like, kind of egotistical egotistical on our part. But not our part, but just tennis fans in general. Like, not everything is about Novak Djokovic, no matter how much he would like it to be. But, um, yeah, they were asked about... uh, He was asked a question about the Djokovic situation... And Morrison said, there are personal ministerial ministerial powers able to be administered by Minister Hawk, and I don't propose to make any further comment at this time. And then the draw was released about an hour-ish later, and Djokovic was there, and I mean, that was pretty crazy. But then, Immigration Minister Alex Hawk announced on Friday that they would be re-canceling Djokovic's visa so revoking it and Hawk said that canceling the visa on quote health and good order grounds on the basis that it was in the public interest to do so end quote so basically he's saying that Djokovic might be a risk to the health and safety of the Australian community and it was the same grounds as the initial cancellation but this time they were avoiding the procedural unfairness of before because obviously it didn't happen in the same way. But the point is that Djokovic, the fact that he said, basically came out with the fact that he knowingly spread COVID definitely did not help his case. Yeah, because exactly. he, I, that is literally what they were trying to avoid. That's what they were trying to say that he wouldn't do. And then he proved that he had done it before. I mean, past actions speak on what a person would do in the future and just his judgment was so off in that situation and it really hurt him here because now his visa is most likely not going to be given back to him yeah and he is obviously seeking to appeal this decision as well um 
and uh, he, it seems likely that he's going to lose the appeal based on precedent that is set. We're not just saying this because, you know, we're, we think we're experts on Australian law, but that's what people, what reporters have been saying in Australia because of the precedent that has been set when the federal government takes authority to cancel visas again under this sort of circumstance. Um, so the hearing is set for Saturday morning. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. It doesn't seem likely that he's going to be able to play, but Djokovic is on some shaky waters because he does face the possible threat of not being allowed into the country for three more years, um, which, you know, obviously isn't set in stone, even if his visa is canceled again, but something to keep in mind. We also do want to talk about the WTA player who was in Australia for the exact same exemption and literally played a tournament there but was only deported once this whole Djokovic thing came about and her name is Renata Vorakova who you may have heard of although she hasn't been reported about as much um, from the Czech Republic. Um, So as I was saying she was already in Australia before Djokovic with the exact same exemption for prior COVID um, infections saying she suffered medical complications from it. Again you know, same thing, COVID infection. And she said that she does plan on getting vaccinated. Kind of confused why she isn't vaccinated already since other Czech players are. Um, But aside from that, she was already there and got deported. And now she's fighting back since Djokovic was currently allowed to stay. So she also detailed treatment by the Australian border force that she was victim to and said that she was told to undress by them before she was deported. So there's a lot of weird ickiness in this whole thing behind the scenes. This is kind of like what our point before was about how it's not a black and white situation by any means because you've got so much like it's it's just really a messed up situation. But honestly, if you ask if you ask me, I'm sure this I I don't know, Josephine, if you would agree, but at least in my opinion, so much of this all of this could have been avoided had Craig Tiley not allowed any vaccination exemptions. Um, and if the Australian government hadn't approved those vaccination exemptions in the first place, but also if these players, well, Djokovic particularly, had just gotten vaccinated, like, there's such easy solutions to do that, and the, the, the attraction towards wanting to jump around that is, is really baffling to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you, because what happened was that Craig Tiley allowed that, those vaccine exemptions, or actually Djokovic, is vaccine exemption and then they the whole like thing that happened after was basically them trying to cover up their tracks and yeah it was a whole mess after people realized that they had done something wrong and only then did they start to come after Djokovic but um yeah the WTA also had a statement on this um especially considering one of their players was victim to this whole situation and they said the complications experienced over the past few days are unfortunate. Renata Vorakova followed these rules and procedures, was cleared for entry upon her arrival, competed in an event, and then suddenly had her visa cancelled when she had done nothing wrong. They also said all players should be vaccinated and said that they are in full support of the immigration policies that have been put in place in Australia. So, I mean, yeah, it's crazy that a player, I understand that Renata, she followed all of these procedures. She did everything by the book. Nobody said anything. She didn't, there was no whole big mess about it because she went by the book as WTA said. But then once Djokovic 
had this whole issue, suddenly she was swept along with it. It just doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, again, this is a whole big situation, and there will probably be more updates on it, but like we said before, we've had quite enough of it because more of the story, vaccination is good, you know, just keeping your community safe. That's the least you can do. Doesn't at least these anything. players can do who are literally traveling around the world every week. Yeah, like, exactly. Like you're literally gonna infect the world. How? How? Yeah. All right. Let's get into some more happy news and exciting news before we get into obviously our draw analysis. So literally today, um, there was a lot of murmurings around this, a lot of frustration among tennis fans, especially on Twitter, because over the past couple of years we've seen the rise of series like Drive to Survive, which is Formula One sort of like behind the scenes Netflix series. Netflix also announced that they're doing a similar thing for the PGA for golf, which is like, why golf? And like, everyone was kind of like, why don't you do this for tennis? Like, we want to have like a behind the scenes docuseries for tennis and showcasing the professional players and really getting to engage in that. And today they announced that filming has already started for a brand new professional tennis docuseries. Uh, produced in collaboration with the ATP, WTA, and the four Grand Slams that will be released on Netflix. Um, Inspired by and modeled off of Formula One's Drive to Survive and the similar series they're launching for the PGA. So really, really exciting stuff. Yeah, and then also Netflix said that the series will offer an unfiltered look at life inside the competitive sport of professional tennis through the perspective of the players and their teams. So this is very cool, and this is kind of their first wave of like sports behind the scenes television on Netflix. I mean, we've seen mostly drama series. Shravi and I are definitely fans of those, and we will have both male and female athletes at the same level, you know, starring in this series. And it'll just be very cool because, you know, we follow tennis continuously. But then to see this other side, like we do audio work to see like videos of things that we're reporting on, that would be very, very cool. And the series will begin with the Australian Open 2022. So they've already got plenty of material there, um, considering what we've just been discussing for the past 15 minutes. But, yeah, it should be very cool. Yeah. And, well, it's the first tennis-type thing that Netflix has done in terms of reality. They have a few things with, like, the Osaka documentary and the Marty Fish documentary, but this is, like, the real sort of reality behind-the-scenes sort of prospective thing that they're doing. Um, And, obviously, I think that they'd already kind of ventured into this in sports with the Formula One series but that had got so much positive feedback like I was talking to one of my friends in school who's also a huge tennis fan and he was saying that he got really really into Formula One this summer because he watched Drive to Survive um you know while he was in quarantine for COVID and you know he really enjoyed that series that Netflix had and that kind of goes to show that I mean this tennis series is definitely going to bring a lot of new fans to the sport and is a big moment in tennis's modernization and obviously as two gen z fans this is the kind of stuff that we love to see um really seeing that the tours are leveraging these new media opportunities to bring the sport to people that may not have known much about it before and quite frankly a lot of young people we spend a lot of our time watching random shows on netflix so this is going to be exciting and to make it even a little bit spicier there's been some reporting 
that Djokovic has also been in the process of contributing to his own documentary about himself over the past few months once he broke the uh, number of weeks at world number one record and he also wants to include this whole Australian Open vaccination story in there. I don't know if this is actually happening. There's been murmurings of it. Some Serbian journalists have been, who are close to Djokovic have been reporting about this as well. So if that is true, it's interesting to see how that will compare to the Netflix docuseries because obviously it'll be two different sides of storytelling, um, yeah. potentially. I think, honestly, if he's planning on including the Australian Open vaccination stuff, it could only cause harm because his fans are crazy as it is. And to see, like his side of it you know and him being like the victim and all this that's just gonna cause a lot of harm because he has so much influence already i don't see how it could be good and it is it is very scary even now seeing how there's a fine line obviously well not a fine line there's a there's obviously a clear distinction if you're a fan of Djokovic versus if you're an anti-vaxxer right but there's also been this way that like anti-vax groups and sentiments have connected themselves yeah. to Djokovic yep. through this story. I've seen which this is, so many times on is, Instagram, like in the yeah. comment sections. I've been arguing with people for like the past yeah. two weeks. In protests all around the world, it, it's it is a not a good look for Djokovic certainly. So that's really the scariest part of this whole thing is that does Novak really want to be associated with this sort of political spectacle? Yeah. Um, in an anti-vax light despite whatever his own personal views may be the influence that he has as that major of an athlete is is a lot so finally we have tennis we've been waiting to finally talk about this for so long you know we've had a lot going on and we have one of the biggest tournaments of the year coming up very quickly and we're so excited because it's the happy slam but before we get into that we're going to start with like a brief tournament check-in because you know they have all of those warm-up tournaments in australia before they we kick into the australian open and those have been quite exciting lately i mean first up we have adelaide atp um where we have a final of kokinakis versus arthur rinderneck and Tanasi has been doing amazingly these past few weeks, and we're so happy to see it because, I mean, you know, he's one of those players that has been plagued with injuries, but to see him thriving again is just amazing. It's so uplifting. And Tanasi actually took out Isner and Chilich en route to this final, and, I mean, those are solid players, so that really goes to show how well he's playing right now. Yeah, and I mean, this guy, Kokonakis, only had five ATP Tour-level wins from 2019 through the 2021 season, and he's already had seven in the past couple of weeks. Like, that is really amazing to see, and a great way to start off the season, especially in his home country. Um, And in Adelaide, we also have a WTA tournament going on, where in the final, we have Madison Keys versus Allison Risk, an All-American final. We really want to talk about Madison because... You know, she's been having an awesome week. She defeated Samsonova and also just now Coco Golf in a tight three-setter. So we're so happy to see Madison finding her groove again. Definitely rooting for her. She talked about how she's feeling a lot better about the sport mentally, kind of finding her love for the game again. Um, so that has been fantastic. And also going to be someone to watch at the Australian Open. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. But she's she's definitely looking in form. And then in Sydney at the ATP tournament in our final, we have Oslan Karatsev versus Sir Andy Murray. 
Now, this is probably one of the things we're most excited about to see Andy back in a final. I mean, Aslan just pulled off a really great three-hour win over Dan Evans, who um, obviously is a very informed player. Um, and Murray is now going for his 47th title after defeating Riley Opelka in three sets in the semis. So, I mean, I'm so I'm rooting for Andy to go all the way with this trophy. It's about time. Um, and I mean, we're we're certainly certainly fans of the night. Yeah, I think it's definitely funny to see Oslan here in this final right before the Australian Open because we all remember what he did last year. That was yeah insane. And then we have Sydney, but the WTA side, we have Barbara Krajcikova versus Paula Bedosa. They're unstoppable. Yeah. So these, I mean, I say that about Paula Bedosa. I have my opinions about Barbara. But anyways, (laughs) so these two players have had... No Muguruza fan ourselves, a.k.a. Can in good conscience mm-hmm. fully wholeheartedly root for Krejcikova. Very, it's just very it's true. just ingrained in the DNA. It really is. So these two players have had great seasons last year, and they are continuing their form, which is amazing to see. Um, Krejcikova just defeated Annette Contivate. I mean, and you know Annette has been on fire, fire lately, and. Um, I mean, I saw that Annette was happy with her level. She's confident going into the Australian Open as well. Krajikova just got the best of her that day, so don't lose hope yet in Annette. She still has it. She's still going for us. And then we have Bedosa defeating Kasatkina, actually, in the other semifinal. But just high-level tennis from both players, so definitely two players that you'll want to watch as we go into the Australian Open because, I mean... They did so well last year, and if they're keeping up that level, they're definitely dangerous right now. Especially interesting to see because Krejcikova kind of dropped off a little bit in the second, sort of like the last stretch of the season. I think it was a little bit of maybe like fatigue or whatever, um, especially at like the U.S. Open and the WTA Finals. But clearly she's, you know, rejuvenated, back in form. So it's going to be interesting to see who pulls out strong this season. But now we're going to move into our Australian Open draw analysis where we like to kind of go quarter by quarter of the ATP and WTA draws, talk about which players we see as the favorites, who we see could make some breakthroughs, and um, who we really see making an impact in this tournament. So let's start with what is currently Novak Djokovic's quarter, but like... Who knows if he's actually even playing? Um, so we're going to look at this depending on the evolving situation. So point blank, if Novak is in, there's really no one here to stop him to reach the semifinals. What is interesting here is that we have Gael Monfils in this section, in Novak's section of the quarter, um, which would be really exciting to see him make the spot at the round of 16 because he has a really decent draw. He just won a title. He seems really poised to make it to their second week at the round of 16, which would be really exciting um, and would probably face Djokovic then if Djokovic is there. But when the scenario comes up, whether Djokovic is out is where it gets interesting. Yeah, so according to the Grand Slam rulebook, if Djokovic is not playing, Rublev gets his spot so basically Rublev would be playing as the number one seed 
um, according to the draw placement. And then Monfils... Because he's the number fifth seed right now, yeah. Yeah. And then Monfils, the next seed in that corner, would take Rublev's original spot. The point is that Andre Rublev has a chance of playing this tournament as the number one seed, which would be crazy. I mean, Andre hasn't really played yet. He hasn't played period yet this season, so we don't really know what to expect. But he does seem poised to make quarters because, you know, if he's playing at that high level that we all know he can reach, he's he can be unstoppable, especially if Djokovic is out. Like, we should be definitely looking at him. And then we have Gael, the only other main threat in this section, would be out of the picture because, obviously, he'll be in another spot since he'll be taking Andres spot but still definitely some interesting dynamic that um Djokovic's situation throws into the actual tennis it's kind of cool to see how all this has been affecting real tennis and we're gonna see how it plays out very very soon yes and the second part of this quarter is really stacked with a lot of strong players first we have Cam Norrie who has a really exciting first round match versus Sebastian Corda who unfortunately had COVID and hasn't played yet this season Norrie did lose all three of his ATP Cup matches but he was a number one seed um, in the great on the Great Britain team so he did face tough opponents so don't really know what to make of that then we have Pablo Carreño Busta who only lost one match at the AP the ATP Cup to Denis Shapovalov, so he's looking strong. Carlos Alcaraz had his great breakthrough late last season, also at the ATP Next Gen Finals. And then Matteo Berrettini, the seventh seed, coming back after his career best season last year, although he does face a tough first round versus Brandon Nakashima. So clearly a lot of strong players here. This is fighting for who's going to make that quarterfinal spot to face against either Djokovic or Rublev, most likely. Um... It's looking tough for Berrettini to pull through so clear-cut. Um, so, you know, that's why it's kind of hard to just pick him immediately as a favorite. And it's kind of anyone out of that Berrettini, Nori, PCB, or Alcaraz mix. I would maybe take Nori out of that just considering his start to this season, but who knows. But if we're talking about holistically in this quarter, Djokovic is obviously the favorite. But um, obviously if he's not there... We see a really big opportunity in the bottom portion of this quarter, that Berrettini, PCB, etc. section, for someone to pull through and face Rublev in the quarterfinals. But you got to think, you got to feel for Rublev right now because this is a really weird situation right now because not only does he not know where in the draw, like who he's playing in his first round yet, technically, but if he does replace Djokovic's spot, there's a lot of pressure on him there because his draw is pretty open and he really should make the quarterfinals yeah so and we all know how Rublev tends to deal with pressure so it'll be definitely interesting to see how that affects him and I'm sure it's affecting him now it's definitely a weird spot for him to be in but then again we have the other quarterfinalist who is definitely harder to determine since we said that section is pretty stacked but I mean experience and consistency wise Mateo seems like the favorite here definitely but there are definitely a lot of dark horses in that section that we should be on the lookout for but then again like we said if you're looking at previous statistics you know previous um like the momentum that they have carrying them into this tournament Mateo is definitely the one to be looking out for as the other quarter finalists in this quarter but with our main our main our main point is that with Djokovic out this quarter is going to produce a very interesting 
quarterfinal and then eventual semifinalist because it definitely switches around the dynamic. I mean, it, it changes the dynamic of the entire tournament because everyone's looking at him for that, you know, 21, number nine, all that. Yeah, for sure. All right, next quarter is Daniil Medvedev's quarter. This is on the, like, other half of bottom. the draw, yeah. right? other bottom. Yeah, right. So we're not exactly going in order, but we're, we're like, order of the, like, halves. We're just talking about you who know what we I mean. want to talk about. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because we've had enough of that chaotic first quarter, so let's talk about a player who we love. So a lot of eyes are on Daniil. He just took his maiden Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open last year, and people are really expecting him to follow up. And he did have a decent ATP Cup as well, but we also have pretty high expectations for him. Hard courts are his favorite. Um, and, you know, obviously he's the defending finalist, um, which I think is kind of going understated because he also has a lot of points to defend here. So um, this may be the perfect slam to follow up with. Um, and based on the level we've seen from Daniil, he has really separated himself from the like the Zverev, Tsitsipas um, group, as well as, you know, the others in that top 10 mix. Um, there's really no one here who can tr- uh, touch him. Again, like, there's a possible Rublev meetup in the quarterfinals, but again, is Rublev going to be in his quarter? Who knows? Um, but the next biggest start for him is Felix, but they just faced each other at the ATB Cup and... Uh, Daniil easily won and then Diego Schwartzman is also there but then again if we're talking about a Medvedev Schwartzman matchup on hard courts like these are the way it's kind of crazy to think about it because these three players that we just named Rublev okay who knows if he's going to be here are very strong players yet we're talking about them as expect highly expected matches for Medvedev to win that's just the level that he's at right now yeah exactly so nobody in this quarter is really looking strong enough to touch him because I mean yeah he's just really he's reached a whole nother level he's in his own little number one number two bubble with Novak at this point yeah and then it's a strong strong players there but no one to match him yeah yeah and I think it's very cool especially the fact that we've been rooting for him like insane last year so it's definitely very nice to see him thriving like that and then, like we said, the ninth seed here is Felix Auger Aliassime. And, I mean, he's certainly picked up his level recently. He's currently at a career high of number nine, which is very cool to see. And, I mean, I gotta say it. Like, 2022 has to be the year that he wins something. Like, it could be anything. A 250. Anything. Just something. The ATP Cup was a good start. It really but it was. Doesn't quite, it doesn't quite count as a singles title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, based on Felix's draw, he could most likely make it to week two, especially with the level he's playing at. But then again, he's one of those quite unpredictable players. And also, also, can I just say that he is playing Emil Rusevori in the first round. And Emil, it's just like so rude. I know. Because if you don't know this, um, Emil is definitely one of my faves. He just got a sponsorship with Porsche, as he should. Amazing. Making bank. Uh-huh. And, I mean, also, Emil is playing a pretty high level of tennis as well. I mean, Emil yeah. just made the Melbourne semis and only lost to Rafael Nadal. And, but, like, everyone loses to Rafael Nadal, so whatever. But <laughs> Felix and Emil would definitely make an interesting first round. Um... I gotta say, I hope 
I, I don't know actually who I'd want to win that because they're just both amazing. I mean, keep in mind, Dan Evans is lurking in this section, so do you trust Rusevori to take him yeah, out or Felix yeah. to take him out? That's what, it, you know? yeah, that's what it comes down to, who's <laughs> most likely, if they win that match, to make it further. Yeah. And then I gotta give it to Felix, but just gotta put it out there. I love Emil. I'm rooting for yeah. him always. Yeah. But also, like, this this part of the quarter is also kind of in limbo because, again, Rublev's here, who could be replaced by Monfils. So that could also open things up in that part. So it's all kind of it's all kind of messy. But these are kind of the strong players who are coming up. And as we were talking about, one of those is also Dan Evans, um, who is obviously just made the semifinals um, of, I think, what was it, Adelaide or Sydney, where he lost to Karatsev. Um facing Rublev possibly or Monfils possibly in the round of 16 so it is possible that Dan Evans could like be a kind of dark horse-ish player and make it to the quarters um and I mean we've got Nick Kyrgios here Nick Kyrgios is Nick Kyrgios like Daniil can handle him pretty easily and we've got an interesting round one between John Isner and Maxime Cressy who I am a fan of Cressy is currently at a career high of 75 and working his way up. He made the Melbourne final last week as a qualifier, losing to Nadal. So who knows what he could bring to the table. But really, our main point here is that there are some strong players here. Certainly opportunities for breakthroughs in the top section of this quarter with someone like Dan Evans or Felix. um, Or, you know, depending on the Rublev-Monfi situation. But... Really, we're the thing that Med is doing on these hard courts is quite an impressive thing, and I think he will continue doing that. Um, so we really do see him as the strong favorite here, which leads us to his bestie, and I say that sarcastically, <laughs> Stefano Tsitsipas. I forgot what their nicknames are for each other, but every time I see them, it makes me laugh. So Stefano Tsitsipas, the fourth seed, I mean, after that crazy match against Carlos at the U.S. Open where he lost, we haven't really seen much of Steph. I mean, he was forced to pull out of the tour finals with that lingering shoulder injury. Not sure how that's been affecting him lately. And then he had a subpar record at the ACP Cup. So we really don't know what to expect from him. And honestly, I'm not looking at him as a threat. But who we should, yeah, who we should be keeping an eye on is Roberto Batista Agut, the 15th seed. Yes. Because he had such a strong debut into 2022, winning four matches in a row besides eventual champion Felix for Canada at the ATP Cup. And, I mean, projected draw is that Stefanos and Roberto would meet in the round of 16, which would be interesting if Steph makes it that far. But, um, yeah, definitely look out for RBA. He is, I mean, when he's playing strongly like this, he's one of those people that makes it into later rounds of Grand Slams consistently. Yeah, I mean, this is a really strong quarter here besides just Tsitsipas. I mean, you have Casper Ruud, who made the Nito ATP Final Semis and then also did well at the ATP Cup this year. Taylor Fritz at a career high ranking of number 22, who's been doing really well at the end of last year at Indian Wells and St. Petersburg um, and the ATP Cup as well. But he does have a potential TFO second-round matchup, so that could be interesting because Francis has also been doing well. And then we have Yannick Sinner, who had a perfect record at the ATP Cup, um, has a decent chance of making it to the round of 16. 
Um, and, I mean, to add to this mix, we've also got Andy Murray versus Nicolas Basilashvili as a first-round match yet again. They played in the first round of Wimbledon. They literally just played a few days ago in Sydney, and now they're going to be playing again in the first round um, at the Australian Open. And, I mean, Andy's had to work a bit to defeat him, but, but we've been he's been able to do it, um, doing a he- hero's work as he is. Um, but, I mean, Andy is, I mean, I would love for him to have, like, a Cinderella run at this tournament. That's a lot to ask for. But, um, honestly, I, I'm just happy to see him back on the court and doing well. But, yeah, this is a very interesting quarter. And, um, I don't know. I'm it's sensing, quite unpredictable, yeah. I, it's very unpredictable. But I, I do maybe see Casper Root could be making a slam breakthrough. I could see Sinner, Fritz. I mean, who knows? Honestly, I see... RBA and Casper Rude. Oh, mostly. right, RBA. I forgot about RBA. RBA is being this very good at the moment. Yeah, so definitely definitely an interesting quarter right there. And then our next and final quarter is Rafael Nadal's quarter. Rafael Nadal, he is the sixth seed, so you might be wondering, how can it be his quarter? It's actually <laughs> because nobody wants to talk about Zverev, who is the third seed and also in this quarter. So, when all this Novak drama started, let's face the facts, all eyes turned to Rafa because although he's not played in five months, he came back, he won a title basically immediately at the Melbourne 250, and he did it at a high level. So, people don't seem to remember that he's not only playing for number 21, he's playing to win, to have won two of every slam. And that is big because that's one of the um, one of the statistics that I guess records, yeah, yeah records that put Novak over the top for like right. the quote the go debate yeah exactly. But then if Rafa has a chance here, especially if Novak's um, even participation in the tournament is up in the air, it's definitely interesting to see what he can do here, especially with the pressure that will be on him. Yeah, he has a very um, interesting potential second round match versus Kokinakis, who, as we said, is playing really well, and we'd love to see him succeeding. But we'd also really love to see a Nadal, like, super, like, throw this whole GOAT debate slam race into a mix and, you know, make an amazing run here. But um, that would be a very tough match. Kachanov, the 28th seed, is also here and playing really well. He made the Adelaide final, losing to Monfils, but... You know, he is definitely um, starting off his season on a, on a good foot. And Oslan Karatsev, the 18th seed, is here as well. And we all remember what happened last year. So, um, safe to say that Nadal doesn't have the easiest section um, in this in this quarter. But we also have Zverev, the third seed, um, who, you know, obviously like is playing some great tennis. Did lose to Felix at the ATP Cup. Yep. But, you know... If he's playing well, he plays well, but at the same time, he has yet to have a top 10 win at a Grand Slam. Um, so his ability to bring his his highest level when it matters most at these Grand Slam tournaments is at the moment lacking. Um, so let's actually talk about Denis Shapovalov, who is also in this section, and Riley Opelka, who is also in this section, as our faves who could potentially take out Zverev. 
Yeah, so we have a possible Dennis Shapovalov, who is the 14th seed, and Riley Opelka, the 23rd, as a third round, which should be very interesting. I mean, Riley already has a pretty tough draw cut out for him. He's playing Kevin Anderson in the first round, so that definitely might be tough if Anderson brings that level that we know he can. And, I mean, Dennis is also playing a pretty high level of tennis. He finished last year off with the Stockholm final, then performed very well at the ATP Cup. And I honestly think that Dennis could make the round of 16 here because when he reaches a certain level, he can keep it for at least a little while unless he has another. <laughs> Remember the drip drip incident of last yes. year? That was yes. very, very entertaining. And we even named one of our Australian Open episodes after that. But, um, yeah, so Dennis is definitely someone to look out for to be making it deep in this quarter. And then we have Hubert Hurkacz, you know, bestie Hubie, the 10th seed, who is honestly a very interesting player to follow here. Possible Azan Karatsev meeting in the third round. And Hubie ended 2021 with the Paris Masters semis, but then he had three losses at the ATP finals. But he, I don't know, he... Yeah, he had three losses at the ATP Finals, but then he started the year off pretty strong, leading Poland to the ATP Cup semis with a 3-1 record. So, I mean, you know, he's a very good player. He showed that last year, and a Rafael Nadal-Hubert Hurkacz round of 16 would be very interesting to see, honestly, especially if um, Hubert is playing that level we know he can. Yeah, so I really don't know who I want to pick to win here. If I went with my head, I would obviously say Daniil, and I had was gonna say him before. But then I was like, let's go with what's gonna be the craziest mix and add to all of this Djokovic drama even more. So I picked Rafael Nadal, because just imagine how cool it would be. I don't think he's gonna win, actually. I'm just picking him just for kicks because his draw is really very very difficult being in Zverev's quarter but just imagine how amazing it would be if he could he could pull that off yeah but um my head would obviously say Daniil if because if Djokovic isn't playing but we're gonna we're gonna fantasize this time yeah agreed so my pick is Daniil my pick is my pick has probably been Daniil for the past, like, five Grand Slams or whatever yeah. we've covered, which is kind of predictable on my part. But he's playing well, and I'm always rooting for him, so it'd be awesome to see him back that U.S. Open title up because, I mean, people aren't looking at his U.S. Open title as a fluke. They really aren't yeah. because he's made multiple finals already. And honestly, if yeah. he made it to at least the semis, I would be very happy. But um, he... He can win the whole thing. He has thing. a good draw. I know he can. Yeah, he does. He yeah. definitely has a good chance. But my other pick, my alternate dark horse pick is Daniel Evans. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also see Daniel winning this, but I also don't want to get my hopes up too much. But Daniel, Nadal, Felix, Chapo, Hubie, Cressy, any of those people. What Veritini, is that list of people? I would be... <laughs> I would be very happy with any of those people winning. But let's move on to the WTA. So to get right into it, we have our first quarter, which is the Barty Party. Uh, Ashley Barty has already started her party this year, coming off a title in Adelaide after defeating Barbakina in the final. 
definitely the favorite going into this tournament. She was so dominant on the tour last year and really solidified her face as number one. But her draw is kind of tricky because she will potentially face Naomi Osaka in the round of 16. And speaking of Naomi, the 13th seed, I mean, she's been looking well. She played decently in Melbourne, um, won that WTA tournament reaching the semifinals and seemed much better mental health-wise based on kind of what she was saying in press conference and such, but did have to pull out because of an injury. So hopefully that's that's good by now. And don't forget, she is the defending champion. And then that makes us ask ourselves, how high are our expectations for Naomi? So before the French Open and, you know, her break, she was the player to beat. And now that's Ash. And the fact that they're in the same quarter is definitely very interesting. So we're wondering if Osaka can bring herself back to the winner's circle. We've seen her perform phenomenally at the Australian Open before, so we know she can do it. But it's definitely an interesting situation to see her back kind of rejuvenated, maybe with that a new energy. It can bring something interesting dynamic-wise to this quarter. But she faces a tough round one and section overall. She has Maria Camila Osorio Serrano, very long name, but we love her, in the first round. And she's she was one of our players for our top five WTA Gen Z breakouts mm-hmm. of 2021, mm-hmm. right? So she's definitely someone to look out for. But the fact that she has Naomi in the first round is definitely, definitely unfortunate. <laughs> but still, she can put up a fight. But, um... Also, considering Osaka's section, she also has Benchage and Anisimova, who just won a title. We're very happy about that, by the way. And they are there. But, yeah, just she has a pretty tough section. And to be kind of getting back into it, it would definitely be interesting to see how she handles it. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult sort of section over there and now the other section of that quarter is headlined by maria sakari the fifth seed she's you know this draw is looking good for her depending on how she plays post her breakthrough season the other kind of top player there is Ons de Boer, the ninth seed but unfortunately she has been dealing with some injuries lately and had to retire in her match just a few days ago so unclear how she'll do um, some other players to maybe keep an eye out for for some upsets are Pagula, Kudermatova, Kaya Yuvan, and Sosnovich. Um, but it really goes without saying that the overall favorite for this quarter is definitely Ash, but she's definitely going to face some tough tests with whoever she meets in the round of 16, which is very possibly Osaka. Um, it's, on the other hand, in terms of Sakurai's side, it's pretty clear that she's going to come through depending on, you know, you know, what, how Ons is feeling. But considering how stacked this section is with a lot of informed players and people like Osaka, um, to say that Ash is definitely the outstanding favorite also kind of goes to speak at her level these past um, few months. Because, I mean, the Barty party is very much in session. She's unstoppable, and we're so happy about it. And she keeps going back with the Vegemite sponsorship mm. and her comments are flooded with even from other tennis players like mm, I don't think I can trust you on this one because <laughs> Vegemite is definitely one for the acquired taste yes <laughs> so then we have <clears throat> Barbara Krejcikova the fourth seeds quarter 
So, let's talk about Barb. She had a great season last year, but kind of tapered off towards the end, like we mentioned earlier. And she's currently in the Sydney final, but she is looking good so far. She has a pretty tricky section. In her quarter, we have Azarenka there, who we know loves the hard courts and um, pulled off a Bedosa upset recently and lost in a tough three-setter to Ego last week. So, she's definitely in form. And then also in Barb's section of her quarter, we have Ostapenko, Alina Svitolina, who has lost in the first round of both tournaments she's played this season so far, which is heartbreaking to see. But, I mean, Gal Murphy, you do your part and hold her up like the queen she is. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully she brings something to the Australian Open. And then our other section with Bedosa, the eighth seed, is stacked i mean we have paula Bedosa versus ella tomlianovich in the first round and they literally just played so we have we have a lot of these honestly where players end up playing each other again and again in very recent times um but Bedosa is also in very good form and definitely a top contender in this quarter based on her success her um incredible success last year and the fact that she's in the sydney final right now and then also in that section, we have Marta Costu, Coco Goff, Sarah Saribas, Tormo, Bestie, where have you been? We're so happy to see you. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, definitely crazy. Yes. And we also have a Sophia Kennan versus Madison Keys round one. And obviously Madison Keys is on fire right now. Sophia Kennan, on the other hand, we really don't know what to expect from her. She just lost in the first round in Sydney and she lost to Barty last week. So I don't really have high expectations for her here, especially if she's facing Madison Keys, who is so in form right now. I don't know. But Coco Goff, do not be sleeping on her because she's only lost to Barty and Keys so far. Looking really sharp, had great run to the semis in Adelaide. But now she's a real slam contender at these tournaments. And, you know, we could be seeing a Bedosa Goff round of 16, um, which certainly sets up a tough task for Krajcikova or Azarenka, who comes out of that other part of the quarter, most likely Krajcikova. So when we're considering our overall favorite for this quarter, it really is a toss-up. It's kind of between Krajcikova, Goff, and Bedosa. And you really could make a case for any of them. I mean, I think logically thinking right now, you would want to pick Krajcikova. Um, even though, like, both her and Bedosa are, like, in the finals of their current tournament, like, there's just something about Krejcikova that, you know, always comes through. But something's telling me that Goff is really going to pull through. Um, I feel like, you know, she's seeming a lot more composed. Like, she, she said how she's trying to work on controlling her emotions on court. There's definitely a building maturity there, and I think that, again, she's someone who especially in the current depth of the WTA tour right now, she is someone who is legitimately a slam contender at this point. So, um, yeah, I, which is incredible to say at yeah. her age. Yeah. And the fact that she said she has to work on her maturity, but from what I've seen, yeah. she is outstanding. I literally can, I have no words. Yeah. Cause she's so young and she handles herself with at such a level. It's, it's so inspiring, honestly, especially from us Gen Zers. <laughs> Yeah, so, I don't know, something's telling me that golf is going to pull through there. But 
um, we're going to go through the next two quarters, which the first one being Mugurusa, the third seeds quarter. And in the top section of that, we have our absolute favorite, Annette Contevi. We absolutely love her. She's picking up right where she left off last year, made the Sydney semis, had a tough three-set loss to Krajcikova, but played really well. And honestly, Annette is, I mean, Josephina, would you agree with me? At least For me, at least, she's one of my top contenders for this title. Like, I think she's been playing solid. I want her to win this title. I think she can win this title. Um, but she has a very tricky draw. Clara Towson, Anna Konya, Shelby Rogers, uh, Elise Mertens, who, I don't know, I'm not as concerned about her because she's kind of been AWOL. I don't know what she, where she is. Um, Danielle <laughs> Collins and Rybakina, who actually just made the Adelaide final last week and lost to Barty. Um, and Rybakina, she's also someone not to sleep on because she's been playing some strong tennis. She's very soft-spoken and introverted, which is why you don't really see much about, like, you know, you wouldn't think much of her, but she's, I really like her, and she unfortunately pulled out of Sydney because of an injury, but if she's healthy now, she definitely has a strong path to the round of 16 and potentially beyond, depending on whether or not she's able to defeat Contivate. But overall, Josefina... I would say we're confident in Contivate. I like that. I like that. Um, what's it called? Alliteration. Yes. So, yeah, Annette has a tough draw, but we definitely see her getting to the quarters, especially we know that if she has a goal in mind, she will get to it. Like, you remember she won, like, three tournaments in a row yes. or something last year to get to the finals, yeah. to the, to the um, WTA finals which was incredible. So we know that she can reach that consistent level, and we really hope she does here because it would be amazing to see her succeed at that Grand Slam level, truly, especially here in Australia. I don't know why I said it like that. I was actually trying an Australian accent, but completely failed. So um, speaking of the fact that this is Muguruza's quarter, we then have Muguruza. Can we talk about the fact that she is the third seed once again? I know. I've she noticed She has that. worked her way up last yeah. year. Wow. Yeah. 100%. And, and she kind of fell off for a few years, and she, obviously she has a Grand Slam title. She's a phenomenal player. But then last year she came back with a vengeance, mm-hmm. especially towards Barb. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> So she has a great draw and looks poised to make the second week, but her round of 16 opponent is where it gets interesting. That's where the dynamic is thrown up into the air. So it could be Simona Halep, Sloane Stevens, Emma Raducanu, you know, solid players, all three of them. And, I mean, can we talk about this round one match? We have Sloane Stevens versus Emma Raducanu. Wow. So Sloan has not played any matches yet this year because she's been a little busy getting getting married. married. She probably has had the wedding of the year for the rest of the year. It was amazing. She looked amazing. And her photos. They both looked amazing. Chef's kiss. uh, Yeah. Wow. And then, I mean, then we have Emma Raducanu. She's definitely still finding her form. On tour, she lost to Ribakina 6-0-6-1 in Sydney, so who knows? But, I mean, we've spoken about this before. She's had a lot of pressure on her. She even made it. She even <laughs> decided to make money off of it with that Nike ad. Well, I don't think um, it's more like she me. decided to make money off of it. I think no, it- no, no, no. But you know what I mean. It's something that she's been struggling with, and she wanted to kind of come out with the fact that 
like this is what's happening right now and I'm trying my best and I don't plan on quitting anytime soon. Yeah. Which is great to see because the amount of pressure she had on her like the the day of the final even before then. Well, ever since her Wimbledon incredible. Run. Oh yeah. For and sure. like I think I saw a really interesting tweet that was like this pressure like pressure was on her since the Wimbledon run and then she went on to win the US Open. So I don't think it's the. I don't think she's based on what she said and stuff. I don't think it's the pressure that's phasing her as much as just being like, you guys need to stop with it because, or like, you guys need to like calm down a second because this is like my fourth WTA tournament ever. So I think mm-hmm. it's like impressive how poised she's been. And that Nike advert was actually really great. Um, but I don't know. To me, she seemed strong in the face of pressure. I think it's more just a sense of inexperience because what was really awesome was after her loss to Rybakina in Sydney, immediately after she headed with her coaches to the practice courts to practice right after her loss. So she's definitely sort of kind of finding her groove um, because this is all so new to her um, being a player on the WTA tour. But out of these people, it does seem like Halep is the fave for the round of 16 to face Muguruza. But again, Muguruza does seem the favorite to get through her section Definitely not as difficult of a section as Contivate. So when we're talking about the overall favorite of the quarter, I would say it's close between the two of them, Contivate and Muguruza. But um, with, you know, Contivate does having a bit trickier path to get there. But she's just been looking so strong these past few days. And I really feel like her success these past few months, seemed, it, it's got to lead to a slam breakthrough at some point, right? And probably on the, on the hard court. I mean, she's great on the hard court, so... I'm I I think Annette could could come through. Yeah, and I definitely hope to see her do that because I mean, like you said, all of this success on in the smaller tournaments has to be leading to something and it might as well be the Australian Open of 2022. Mm-hmm. So, now we have our final quarter. Um I don't know whether to call it Sabalenka's quarter, but yeah. it is. She is the second seed here at the Australian Open, and I mean, Arena has definitely had a rough start to the season. She's had a lot of issues with her serve in the two matches that she's played so far, and um, we've seen that in her, uh, one of the match that we discussed in the last episode, she hit like 16 double faults, an insane amount. And then in her next one, she hit over 20, I think. Oh, I could be wow. wrong, but like it, like clearly there's something going on with their serve. But you know what I found disturbing was that after Kennan's loss, after Raducanu's loss, after Sabalenka's losses, the amount of sexist sentiment I was seeing on Twitter, called being like invalidating these women's athleticism, um, invalidating their right to equal pay, being like, oh, oh the WTA wow. is a joke. Like this is why women's tennis is a joke when only Barty is the one consistent player. And I was just fuming at that because. Hello, have you met? Andre Rublev, Stefano Sitsipas, <laughs> etc. Dominic Tiem, like it's 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 so it's so bizarre. Dominic Tiem, where are you? It is, I feel bad for him. He's injured, but that's the thing. Like when ATP players are going through yeah. slumps or like um, these sort of bouts with injury. Rafael Nadal didn't play for five months. Yeah, yeah. When they're having those sorts of struggles, you never hear that sort of rhetoric around them. But when these women may be going through a slump. You hear, you see all this coming up, which I think is so annoying. Um, it's so double. What's it double called? standard. Like, double standard, yeah, because we've seen like ATP players are not perfect 
at all, and neither yeah. are WTA players. That's the point. Like, anyone can win right now. That's the era that we're in. That's, like, this new era of tennis. And it's actually, like, it's a blessing because we see, like, new players rising up every day, getting better, and new people to talk about on the podcast. You know, it's it's amazing to see. It's not necessarily a bad thing that we've seen a little bit of inconsistency from certain players but the fact is that it's from both sides of the tour no matter what yeah like that's it yeah so i mean considering her form though we're not really considering or sensing sabalenka as the favorite here um but who we are kind of considering the favorite is leila fernandez and this isn't just because of recency bias um so you know Leila Fernandez obviously beat Sabalenka at the U.S. Open. Um, there are a few other dark horses here, like Samsonova and Lee and Kerber, who's coming back from recovering from COVID. But Leila, who's the 23rd seed, um, you know, really does have that firepower. She lost to Iga in straight sets last week. But um, I'm excited to see how she fares here because there is definitely an opportunity for her to reach the round of 16 and come out of the Sabalenka portion of uh, this quarter just because of you know the fact that arena is not looking at her a game but then the other portion of this quarter is where Iga Swiatek is and Iga Swiatek seems to have a real sort of I mean I think this is a fantastic draw for her real chances for her to get to the quarterfinals because she made the Adelaide semis losing to Barty but you know defeated Fernandez and Azarenka on route which, is, which are good wins um and, I mean, the only, I mean, she really only has one main threat in this portion of that quarter. Yeah, her main threat would definitely be um, Daria Kosakina, the 25th seed, who's been looking very strong based on her the fact that she made it to the um, Sydney semifinals before um, losing to Paula Badosa. But then again, Badosa's playing some phenomenal tennis, so that doesn't really say much, or it doesn't speak less to how well Kasakina's playing right now. And then the bottom part of this section is wide open. We have Pavlyuchenkova, Kvitova, who's honestly not looking great recently, which is sad to see because she was she did well. She had like a like a um swing of really good tennis last year, which was great to see. And then we have Kristea, who I mean, who knows who'll make the round of sixteen out of this kind of little section. It'll definitely be interesting to see, but then then again, that's what it's all about, and we're excited to see how this um, comes out. But overall, for this quarter, definitely we should be looking at Iga Swiatek, if not Layla, honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they're the strongest players right now in this section, and honestly, it's a pretty open quarter. Yeah, All of these players are either playing really well or in a, like a little bit of a slump, so it's whoever is having a good it depends i mean this quarter the matches are going to depend who's having a good day and who's having a bad day it could be anyone honestly yeah now just to round this all out for our pick to win i have picked annette contivate partially out of bias but partially out of the fact that as you should i like i think it's sometimes silly to just pick like picks to win based on who has um like just because someone has a difficult draw. I completely guess. Yeah, like I just because <laughs> just because someone has a tricky draw doesn't mean that they can't win uh, or go far. Obviously, so that's why someone like Contivate, who's been producing such a high level of tennis, I think she can get through that. And I think that you know she her attitude is just awesome. 
um, and I'm excited to see her make a real impact at this tournament, um, but obviously would be happy with a Barty party as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, honestly, if anything, you can count on the fact that both Travia and my and my second pick is Ash. Yes. For sure. Yes. And speaking of my first pick is Iga Sviatek, because I think it's time she won another Grand Slam. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I've been absolutely loving her recently, and she's been playing good tennis, so why not? If there was ever a time, the time is now, and... Honestly, it's time for numero dos. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you coverage of the rest of the Australian Open and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the first few rounds of the Australian Open complete. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your ragged until next time.